Welcome to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. This podcast is all things sports, performance and fitness, and I'll be interviewing industry experts to help shed some light on these topics. For more information, you can find me at Grace Brown Fitness on socials. Hello and welcome to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. Today I have an exciting guest. His name is Jack. He works for Tag Rugby Island and we are going to discuss all things the World Cup 2023 in Ireland. So welcome, Jack. Thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. Looking forward to it. Excellent. So, like I mentioned, we're going to discuss everything to do with the World Cup. Um, So you're the kind of behind the scenes on the Tag Rugby World Cup 2023 um, Instagram page. So I thought it'd be a really good chance for us to discuss everything uh, around that. Um, But before we crack on into it, I'd like to know a little bit about you and how you've ended up where you are now uh, and a bit of your journey would be quite helpful to know what's going uh what how you've got to where you are cool i'll, I'll sum it up as quickly as i can there's, there's lots of different no avenues <laughs> i i heard something in in one of your podcasts talking about your tag rugby journey about how you got to a certain point in athletics and you didn't really want to do what was involved now in, in, in continuing to compete um and i think you mentioned you got there around 28 I think I was probably 15 when I decided that was me for, for playing rugby. I was yeah. big and fast when I was 13, 14, and then everyone else got bigger and faster. And um, I just started to lose interest in, in, in the work involved, although I loved, I loved the sport. So um, I took a refereeing course in school. That led me to taking an opportunity when I was 17 uh, to referee tag rugby. So I used to oh, wow. do 12 games a week um, in a venue that we still use when I was 17. Okay. Kept, kept going with that for probably up until the end of college. Uh, then I started getting really into playing. Um, so I used to go from like my one day week to two to three to four to five to six, if I could, if I could manage it. Mm. Uh, I took on other responsibilities. Like I got back into the refing. Um, I started coaching some representative teams at our nationals side of things. Did that for a few years. I got involved with the management side of the Irish tag squads. Um, I got involved as an assistant coach for the Irish tag squads. And then January last year, I started working for the Irish Tag Rugby Association full time uh, as the general manager. So I, I had previously been working in in higher education, but uh, I think I'd always wanted to work in sport. I just I love sport. I, yeah, I walk around all day with a rugby ball in my hands if I could. So, <laughs> um, I felt like just felt like I couldn't couldn't say no to the opportunity. You know, it, it was it was yeah. Um, you know, at, at the time there was lots to weigh up around the around job security, and I think everyone thought there was a big recession coming as everyone has, has always thought but uh yeah I decided to take a bit of a leap and I've enjoyed myself so far fantastic yeah so you're well versed then in uh, the tag rugby world scene especially in uh, Ireland so how many years is that if you don't mind me asking is that uh, I'm I was 17 when I started I'm 31 now so that's it's 14 yeah a good, um, good decent stint then <laughs> decent levels of involvement since I, I've I, I thought refereeing was going to be the big focus now leading up to the World Cup I, I did a couple of test matches each of the last two seasons but then you know uh, things have changed yeah fair enough fair enough um okay so what do you uh, I always ask this question to all my guests um whatever the background is um what's great and what's difficult about what you do I mean I my hobby is my job uh is the answer to both of those questions actually okay (laughs) so 
I never need, I wake up every morning with a sense of motivation that I didn't have when, when I was doing spreadsheets in higher education, you know, you just, you, yeah. you, you, you understand your job inside out. you got visions for how it can be better. It's something you just, you really believe in it. Yeah. Um, and this was the other side is, you know, I was involved for so long that everyone knows me. Um, <laughs> I love a lot of personal texts, you know, was, we had Ireland training yesterday and everyone who had a problem came to me in person about it on a weekend. And it, it's, yeah. it's sometimes it's, it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's hard to be that person. Uh, I think you have to be, you have to be a real centrist. Um, you have to keep your emotions in check. You have to keep yourself interested in check. Um, mm. It's worth it on balance. Yeah. I suppose it's also hard, uh, the kind of the separation of it is a hobby, like you love doing it. Um, but also it's hard to probably switch off because it kind of merges hobby into work, isn't it? So same yeah. for me in, in some yeah, ways I, as well. <laughs> I, have to, I have to keep on top of myself. Like I, I, yeah. When I'm producing fixtures for a league, I have to make sure that I'm not giving a team that's associated with me too much advantage, that kind of stuff. It's just yeah. constant and it, it can be, and, and something I'm kind of hyper conscious of now is that nobody else has the responsibility to view it from a broader overall general perspective. Um, mm. you know, everyone else is entitled to come at you with their, their own interests and their own things they want changed for themselves. And like, yeah, that can be difficult, but again, yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, sounds like it. Okay, so let's um, get into some of the specifics or some of the questions that I'd like to kind of go over in terms of the World Cup and probably a little bit about Tag Rugby Island because for some people that might not know much about uh, Tag Rugby, I was just wondering how long has Tag Rugby, I don't even know, how long has it been going in Ireland? Uh, 20, we, we keep exaggerating this number, but it started in 2000, um, the oh, summer wow. of my colleague, now colleague, Simon Bewley, um, did a gap year in Australia, came back with the idea for Oztag uh, in Ireland, sewed some of the tags together by hand himself, mm. um, opened it up with the help of the IRFU at the time in St. Mary's College Rugby Club. Um, uh. And they had, you know, seven tag pitches on this side of the road and another 10 on this side of the road. And it was huge, absolutely huge. Um, yeah. so, but they've grown from there. Um, we are we're all across the country now um in a five five different cities slash towns yeah uh, very similar model in lots of ways to to try tag but yeah we've been playing for for 22 years oh wow so i think it's well i've been playing 10 years so and i know it only started a couple of years before i started so i think it's only about 12 maybe 13 years in the uk so we're a little bit behind on in terms of time uh, uh playing so but anyway awesome and then so you you've kind of already kind of introduced this but um I was about to ask you about your involvement with tag rugby but I think we already know so it's all good so we'll move on to the some of the other questions um so I thought we'll start with the location um and go so can you tell me a bit more about the location of the world cup and how many days and how will the itinerary look Sure. So the the World Cup itself takes place in the University of Limerick, uh, which I mean academically is, is it's a strong enough university, but it, its real selling point is the quality of the sports facilities. So yeah, Munster um, Rugby has its high performance facility right next to the pitches. Like um, I don't know if you're familiar with the bowl, that sort of um, that pitch with the big mounts on the side of it. Yeah. Right next, yeah, right next to there is where Munster Rugby train every day. Oh wow use those people that's their high performance center they've got obviously gyms and, and stuff like that on site um yeah. but they're very proud about the quality of the, the facilities the um the you know, five or six full-time grand staff just just for that purpose they hold lots of international events mm. um 
one of the big attractions, I guess, we've, we've a couple of those kind of universities in Ireland. One of the big attractions was everybody stays on site. Um, yeah. You probably know yourself from, from playing the British and Irish Cup there. The When you're doing that for five, six, seven days in a row, um, it's a real benefit. Um, and yeah. I, I didn't make it to, to Coffs Harbour myself, but um, it, it was... Uh, the reality of trying to plan buses in and out from where the accommodation was and uh, trying to be based off site, but make it out for sort of a 12 hour day was what turned some of the Irish heads at the time towards the possibility of hosting it in, in UL. Um, okay. And they, they have, I, I don't think people are really prepared for what it's going to be like to have 85 teams in the one place. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Like it, I mean, people are going to be the, the furthest walk anyone's going to have to their, for, to their accommodation is about 17 minutes. It's, yeah. no, it's, it's, re, it's, it's just a completely different events what people have ever experienced with the world cup before yeah yeah okay that is cool um yeah because there's so much extra planning i remember the world cup when just having to get buses and da, 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 and <laughs> just the, all that extra stuff that's a good point so what will the let's move on to then what will the accommodation be like you know is there like shared dining uh chill out zones how how is that going to be set up and and, and things like that yeah, so the, I mean, the accommodation is used between September and May for, for third level students in, in UL. Yeah. Um, so most people, I don't, I'm going to say most people because there are villages and rooms that, that, that don't, but most people will have uh, their own bathroom. Everyone will have their own bedroom um, with shared dining spaces that have actual cooking facilities in them, um, yeah. which I think is important. Like the, yeah. the, some people want to prepare certain ways, want to feel themselves certain ways. Um, having your own kitchen within a 10 minute walk of the pitches, I think it's just, it's, it's really cool feature. Yeah. Um, but they, they, they mean they're, they're built for, for student habitation and, and for students to live there nine months a year. So they, they have yeah. facilities around them, like um, shops, bars, uh, pizza restaurants, there's places to do laundry, stuff like that. So they, they yeah. are intended to be lived in yeah. um, than just a kind of a, a bed and breakfast situation. Obviously, because it's, off season from students will like the restaurants and shops and coffee shops etc all be open or will it be limited or okay great they'll, they'll be open there they're we're trying we're coming up with uh different ways of, of moving people between the different restaurants and maybe this restaurant can be specifically for people with some people who, who, who walk in but yeah they'll, they'll be open they and, and actually they open most of the year anyway because ul is used to holding like both frisbee championships and they've held quidditch in the past and big big events with international participants come there all the time so yeah. it wouldn't be normal for them to close ever so no they'll be, they'll uh, be okay cool so there's access to stuff if you need like quite instantly etc awesome um in terms of using maybe other facilities like the pool and stuff would that be an option or is it yeah, we're we're this is this is a kind of a, a finer detail we have to sort out, but we yeah. we the, the intention on everyone's part is that there would be access to facilities in, in some form or another. Oh, um, fantastic! Like, there's so much there's so much there. You know, you said there's an Olympic size swimming pool, um, there's gyms, there's recovery areas, places like that. I mean, that has to be part of the experience. Yeah, so mm. Ooh, that, recovery areas. Yes, that sounds yeah. exactly what a lot of people be wanting. <laughs> yeah, we had a we had a very small recovery. Booth, I'm going to call it at the international tag series. And unfortunately, the guy's facilities failed him quite early on. But uh, okay. he said in the first couple of hours, the number of inquiries, but by people who weren't even tired yet, was just, <laughs> uh, they were yeah. thinking ahead. <laughs> yeah, thinking ahead, exactly. Yeah. So this, these are the kind of like, we're into the last 
149 days to be specific uh, yeah. so details that, that come together now but yeah that's perfect that, that's, that's really cool and the other thing I was going to ask was I just it's just thrown me now I just I was thinking it was about something to do with facilities it will come back to me never mind um let's go oh yes I know what it, it wasn't about facilities it was how long is you know like I know a lot of teams are expected to get I think GB they're expected to get there by the Monday or Tuesday before the tournament um but when does the actual tournament and the opening ceremony and and things like that um start so you, you've probably explained this to your, your listeners in the past the traditional approach in the tag world cup is to have a, an opening ceremony in sort of the afternoon of the day the tournament starts and then to host some showpiece games with everybody watching then in the afternoon um we have we've designed the tournament to be a wednesday afternoon to saturday afternoon sort of tournament uh so we're planning at the moment at least to hold the, the opening ceremony in the morning of the wednesday and then to, to kick the tournament off um so rather Fantastic. than everybody standing around one pitch and um, because I, I feel like that's actually a lot of pressure on the participants and the referees and you know, it, it, it's a big thing to go straight from a big emotional experience like an opening ceremony to being watched by like m- multiples of the biggest crowds you've ever been in front of. So um, yeah. we're, we're planning to to close, to do the opening ceremony and then move on to eight or nine or 10 pitches worth of games pretty immediately. Okay, um, cool. We'll run, we'll run a, a probably a 75% program of games on the Wednesday, two full days on Thursday and Friday. And then, I mean, Saturday is going to have to be as full a day as we can manage because obviously you get into finals, a lot of the games aren't preset. Um, and obviously there's an after party to, to consider as well. Of course, people, very uh, important. <laughs> I think people will, will will want that opportunity at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, so at, at the moment it looks like, we're, we're trying to figure out the best way to configure whether it's we play, play for longer throughout the day on fewer pitches or more pitches in shorter days. But it's going to it's certainly be between eight and ten pitches and between probably nine and eleven hours of tag a day um, oh wow so, yeah. okay so it's cool so talking about the art party where where is that being scheduled for at the moment so, not that well anyone's thinking about that yet but i, mean, but I, I let I'm, people know <laughs> but we are we are really keen to bring people into limerick city for more than one reason i guess um yeah. some people will, will come over for for just the period of the tournament they won't get off the university campus if they don't uh yes. so that that's important but i think also just the the separation leaving, leaving the world cup behind and it, it, it is a fun part of it too so we've got something really fun planned with that at the moment is in the city I, I haven't got more details to share with you just yet okay no no it's good to know Sounds- i went to myself yeah and saw the venue and spoke to some of the people who might be helping us to operate it and um it, it's exactly what we're looking for for an end of tournament uh especially because we've waited so long for this tournament for this, to yeah yeah it's two years late now wasn't it meant to be 2021 two years late so it was announced announced in february 2019 yeah uh, or august 2021 and here we still are yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so it's a long time coming um awesome so in let's go now to a bit more specifics around like the teams and categories so let's start with categories what what categories do we have in this tournament obviously we've got the different sexes and blah 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 and um and age groups so yeah could we kind of run through each category i've been reluctant to give people like a huge amount of detail but but you can have a little bit of an exclusive um i think i think anyone listening from great britain or ireland is definitely familiar with the sort of six to seven four teams that we always compete in in the british and irish cup which is open and seniors in women's men's and mixed 
Um, obviously, the World Cup then it's going to involve lots of teams who play lots of divisions we never played in. Um, yeah. so at the moment, in women's, we're doing the standard women's open and women's 30s. Yeah. Um, there's also women's 21s, which is anyone under 21 on the day of the tournament. Yeah. Or uh, 35s, which is, a, which is a really interesting development. I think there was originally a proposal for 40s um, that Australia and France wanted to enter. And then Ireland was was, was really keen on 35s because we'd had a, a 35 team play some challenge matches the British Marriage Cup in 2021. Um, and I think now Great Britain are, are getting on yeah, board. Yeah, I think, well, I think there is enough players. I'm not sure how strong it's going to be and stuff because it's going to be quite last minute and not that much playing time. But I mean, it seems... It makes sense to try and put a team together, seeing it's it's only an island, not only an island. It's not far to travel. What do you mean? It, it, like this, yeah. these are opportunities that when we, because the plan at the moment is for the World Cup to rotate between the hemispheres. So, um, if you're if you're at, I mean, people obviously uh, have different relationships with sport as they as they get older. People, some people play less. You know, you know, mm. well, I'm sure from from working with different people, but yeah. This is the opportunity, really. If, if you don't see yourself involved in this level of sport long term, this is this is is this. You know, this is yeah. this is the opportunity um, to do an hour long fight for it. So, yeah. So the four four women's categories then, and then we have uh, open seniors and uh, mixed. Sorry, open seniors and twenty ones mixed. Um, again, mixed twenty ones is something we won't have seen too much of on this side of the world, but, but we're looking forward to. And what then does open seniors mean. Sorry, op- open. So open refers to uh, anyone. So it's an ageless category. Ageless um, category. Yeah. So provided you're old enough to participate, which is something around sixteen, mm-hmm. um, you can be sixty-five years old, and if you're the best player in the country, you can you can still be play. Old. Yeah. Whereas obviously the seniors then is got to be thirty in the year of the tournament. Yeah. Twenty um, ones have to be under the age of twenty. Twenty one or under yeah. on the first tournament. So it's a little a little bit different for those yeah. guys. But then men, the men's are also playing at 40s, 50s, and 60s. Yeah, um, wow. Well, I mean, we, 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 the British and Irish Cup featured an exhibition category, we call it, of, of, of men's 40s last year, and it was super competitive. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I heard it was really successful, like, to do. Have, has Ireland actually got teams in 50s and 60s as well? Yeah, so it, it's, it's, it was a... I guess when we looked at our our core program of six teams, which is always what we've done, we've always competed with GB and what they what they had. So the, the yeah. two of us have hand in hand. Um, when we looked at expanding the program, it actually turned out to be a lot easier to tap into a market of 40s, 50s, 60s than it did to tap into 21s. Um, so we we very quickly got a men's, what we call it masters. So it's technically Mom, 55 yeah. plus. They, yeah. play, they play all, all year round at the moment now. Um, there's a an eight team league about to start on on Thursday in South Dublin, yeah. um, and they're they're playing. I mean, people play, especially men are are still playing at that age. Yeah, um, of course. A lot of them would have had maybe 20, 30 years of of rugby behind them, and yeah, they missed the touring, they missed the team atmosphere. So, yeah, we we've we're really happy with where it's gone in Ireland. Um, Fantastic. Big in France as well. Like France are really really big for those. Oh, really? Fantastic. Yeah, an Irish group going over to Paris to France to um front on yeah. in a couple of weeks to do a bit of a, a bit of a tour and oh, I'm, heading, I'm heading to Claremont on Friday to to meet some of that, that French women's 35s team. So um right. it's, uh, yeah so there's there's teams popping up um categories mm-hmm. popping up that, that we never would have conceived of before but are now looking like they'll be really successful and competitive. So that's um that's cool. Perfect. Um so in terms of 
um how many teams are there in each category so shall we go say like obviously mixed open is is probably the kind of first was is it founded on mixed mixed teams tag kind of yeah, I mean, certainly on our our side of the world, definitely, um, people play on a kind of a we we call it social tag. Um, I mean, it's just a non super league stuff. It, it tends to be mixed, especially throughout the winter, and mm. we go we go specialist throughout the year. So, so yeah, the mixed the mixed open category at the moment is looking like the joint biggest with the the men's forties, um, which well, is men's forties cool. one of the biggest categories. Yeah, I mean, it's so, like opens. Yeah, the, so the two of those look like they'll have uh, they'll be in double digits at least for the team entries, and they're they're married. Um, like we expect to see, I mean, I think you expect to see Ireland and Australia in every category. Um, yeah. At the moment, or, or or close enough to it, certainly on the Irish side. Um, yeah. With with a lot of entries from GB, a lot of entries from uh, New Zealand and the New Zealand Exiles. Uh, yeah. Then 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 we're then we're talking about really about nations that have have specialisations and prefer to play at certain age groups. But yeah. Um, yeah. So we're 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 looking really good at, at mixed open men's open. Seems to be the two two, two biggest. Big. And men's 30s and men's open have a lot of interests uh, yeah. do you can you say how many teams in the mixed open and men's opens that have entered as of now we're, we're, we're i suppose with the caveat for everybody that the we'll believe it uh, when when everybody is registered and paid up for all aspects of the tournament of course we have pretty strong expressions of intention with in terms of how what people have booked accommodation wise we kind of know what time they're coming how many people are coming yeah. Um, we may make some adjustments within, but we're looking at sort of between ten and twelve teams in each of those categories. Um, oh wow! Which is which is big. Yeah, you know, I mean, we're looking probably at a tournament between eighty-five and ninety teams. So um, in total, so two, yeah, for two, yeah, for two teams to have nearly up to twenty-four entries between them is is pretty significant. Yeah. And um, that's so. I mean, we're, there's there's no there's there isn't a category we're concerned about at the moment, um, which I think people will be happy to hear about. Yeah. Um, because you know, I think just the game, the international game is so focused on Australia at the moment and, and, and teams coming from Australia. Yeah. Um, in a way that I didn't even really realize, like maybe there was a part of me that thought the Italian team traveled from Rome. Um, of course they don't. Um, we just, we never saw them throughout the rest of the, the, the periods between the World Cup. Like quite a lot of the teams in these tournaments are heritage or expat or second or third generation communities living yeah. in Sydney. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we've been we've been beholden to their uh, willingness to travel a little, a little bit. But that said, Ireland, Great Britain, South Africa, France have really really fronted up in terms of, of entries. And I think for a lot of those traveling teams, those are teams they'll never have encountered before. You know, those are styles yeah. of players they've never have seen. Um, and I think that's good. That's healthy. It's it's part of the global game. Yeah, great. That's really exciting. How is like the women's categories generally? Because obviously. Generally, women's sport is tends to be a little bit behind in terms of development. Uh, I mean, in my experience, you know, we've since we've only just started women's league since the last World Cup in the UK. So it's it's grown hugely. Like as you can see from the BNI being able to fill out more than one female team now. Um, so what what's the kind of entry level for the women's game? So something I'm definitely seeing in the team entries is that if, if a nation can enter one team, they, they typically have enough numbers for a men's team or a mixed open team. Um, yeah. So definitely some, something I've noticed. Um, like the, in the, our women's open, women's 21s, between them look to have about 12, between 12 and 14 teams. So like they're, they're looking strong. Uh, there's a good spread of teams in those, in those competitions. Yeah. Uh, the, 
uh, so the New, I mean, New Zealand are sending a team from, based in Australia. We've got the Irish Exiles, Great British Exiles, Great Britain, Ireland, Australia, um, Indigenous Australia looking to enter three women's teams at the moment, which is which is really cool. Um, mm. the, like I mean, apart from Ireland, Great Britain, Australia, I like think most of the nations entering women's teams aren't entering that many. Yeah. Uh, and then probably between the two older categories, we're probably looking at ten. Yeah. Um, which which are good numbers, I guess, when you take them in the context of the of the overall tournament. I definitely wish it was more. Um, yeah. Someone who's also like preparing a, a senior women's team for a World Cup. I definitely, I'd love to see a bit more variety, but you know, you just gotta yeah. prepare. Yeah, I think, I think again, give it another few years for another World Cup, it will get more. It just takes yeah. time because you know you got like people like not that I'm ready to go to the older categories, but I'm well enough old enough to go to the older categories. Um, uh, you know, you will find people that are competing in opens categories and stuff that might start to think about as they age, like, oh, maybe 35s might be the one for me if they still want to compete, but, yeah, but not quite. It's all about the the competition as well, really. Like, the, yeah. I was... I mean, if I was the kind of player who was in contention for a World Cup place, I'd be looking at the oldest team I could possibly play for in lots of ways. And now that's me. That, that That's me yeah. personally. But being 31 on a 30s team against uh, my level of fitness um, versus being 31 on, a, on an open team, I think that they're big difference, you know. Um, and the game is a little bit different and it may suit certain people. I've also seen, you know, the captain of our mixed open team is 35 and he isn't slowing down whatsoever. And mm. So it, it is different based on each athlete. But yeah, yeah. I, I, it would be great to see that because I think what would be necessary for that to happen really is an influx of, of younger athletes playing PAG. Um, yeah. what, what we find here is that we don't tend to get people until they've given up. Like, like we kind of both mentioned at the start of this podcast, they've given up playing other sports at a competitive level. Yeah. And looking for something where they can play competition and they can be competitive, they can wear an Ireland jersey and they can you know they can do that high standard of preparation mm. but, but it doesn't dominate their week and um, they yeah. don't have to watch what they're eating as closely they don't have to be as good with their recovery of course they should um, yeah they, i know what you mean <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, it's just different yeah i know exactly what you mean. pressure release yeah yeah um and yeah it's for me it was definitely the just the element of competition and stuff like that and i just want to just compete as high as i can for as long as i can um and uh yeah so yeah it's uh, i get that it's totally i agree it's until it gets a bit more grassroots and it becomes more of a sport like it is in australia probably um you know like they have it from pretty much under 10s now don't they or even younger yeah yeah even younger where they actually play so until it becomes like a sport but that's only in sydney i think isn't it or yeah yes it's it's, it's big big in new south wales especially especially in sydney i mean the game is big in queensland they just i I don't think there's as good a relationship between queensland tag and and new south wales tag yeah Um, so we we don't often hear from that side of the world sometimes but yeah i mean look to yeah. them, it's like it's like five aside soccer. It's just something that you you can find people playing all over the country every night of the week. Yeah, super casually, and uh, you know we're, we're not we're not there yet. I mean, I, I know from my own point of view, the playing numbers are starting to increase here. Yeah, um, starting to see interest from younger people. Like some of those years of birth of people who sign up are are creeping towards two thousand, which is um, terrifying. terrifying. <laughs> uh, but we we do need that, and, and I mean, yeah one of the legacy effects that i hope we have at least in ireland from the world cup is that 
we're looking to try and field three under 21s teams. That's you're looking 60 selected players and probably a, a broader, higher performance group of 100. Like, yeah, even, even to bring that number of people in, especially how concentrated we are around certain cities for our elite tag, like that could really future proof the game in, in a really helpful way. Mm. So, obviously, we've talked about the different categories and obviously the numbers of teams. Just you don't have to answer this if you don't want to. Definitely. What do you think is the hardest category will be the hardest category to become world champs in? Okay, well, that, yeah, that's uh, that's tough. It's a hard question. It's all that's... hard because obviously it's all a good level in whatever category. It yeah, is. it should so be. I think a lot of people's default answer to this question will be men's open, and I don't, I don't necessarily agree. Um, because you know it just seems like there's in some countries there's this endless production line of athletic quick rugby skilled guys mm-hmm. where sometimes i mean i've definitely noticed this about, about how australians run their tag like they, they there's a lot of expense involved sometimes in, in playing for and competing for australia um, and that can be justified because somebody else will pay it and that the fall off to that next person isn't maybe as as significant as you think yeah um, I, I, just, I think the world is very well supplied with that type of athlete yeah um, whereas and this is total bias now but when i'm when i'm coaching with the women seniors with ireland you're dealing with sometimes very different circumstances like we had a player come back and play recently who'd recently given birth and yeah you know, two or three of them actually sort of in the last six months and you're managing you really have to manage your expectations and your and your fitness aspects of and your game and even even just adapting training sessions to have them participate like yeah. it is a sometimes what, what i saw last year at least we had, we had a training squad of 28 that, that by the time the tournaments came around there were about 22 people available to select um because people fall off very quickly at that age group and um look, there's I, other priorities as well isn't there in life, yeah yeah um go on yeah go on you go on you, know, you go, like one of the uh, like no everyone can only compete in the categories they're eligible for mm. so you know, to, to tell somebody that the men's is the most competitive, like it's not hard for a woman age 36 to win men's open because it's impossible. Um, so yeah. um, like I, 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 I'm really interested, I guess, not just in, in women's seniors, but with some of the bigger overage categories. Like the men's 40s to me looks like really competitive with lots of teams based in Australia, with lots of people who've got rugby backgrounds, but then, then they've also got, you know, family stuff to manage and their participation is limited by a lot of family men of those teams same with the women's 35s like just participating means something different uh, to some people at those age groups again yeah. again everyone like i have to I have to emphasize that every athlete is very different their circumstances are very different but yeah definitely something i've seen with being involved in those teams is like your path to wearing the jersey is a lot more difficult sometimes at older ages um so i'm, I'm just i'm just interested to see how those go i think you could get really unexpected results in those tournaments because of those factors so yeah you, you pick the best women's 35s or men's 40s team and you you could be ravaged by injuries because of how you handle the day or or by by factors that are totally out of your control mm, um, yeah yeah I, I, guess, I guess i'm probably the only person in the world who would, who would point to those <laughs> being the hardest but um yeah at the same time we have to recognize this there are those open categories even even the, the quality of the teams the women's open like they're just full of unbelievable athletes like people you never thought you'd share a pitch with sometimes um so yeah they do have their yeah no definitely I played with in when I lived in Australia years ago 
Um, I played in Cronulla, which is where basically half the Aussie women's team <laughs> is from. <laughs> and a few of them might have, you know, just played for Australia in the sevens and gone to Olympics <laughs> and stuff like that. So you have some pretty good athletes out there. Even, you know, I mean, Australia is also an, an example. And as we look to when we talk about uh, super quality athletes, like I, I played one tournament seven years ago with Nick Wilkes uh, from the GD Open. So I play like, with every week. <laughs> like I just, I, I remember, and I, I, I've always seen it in him and like that, I remember that when I talked earlier about the game under lights, like I remember watching it from home, the, I think it was Greece against, Greece, or it was Greece or Samoa against GB Men's Open with. It was with, um, Greece, yeah, the opening match of the World yeah. Cup. Yeah, the Nick Wilkes game, like it just, I mean, those kind of athletes, they also exist in this part of the world. Like, I mean, Emily, I didn't get to see it live, but Emily Rona Roper, yeah, Ireland at, at, at times in women's open. Um, like she just, you do get those cut above athletes at the open grades. And I, I mean, it, correct me if I'm wrong, Nick is probably old enough at this point to play for the men's 30s, but why would he, you know, if he's, if he's <laughs> quality of athletes. Yeah, yeah, funny, funny you say that. I'm actually hopefully getting Emily on the podcast soon so exclusive exclusive everyone (laughs) okay um she's two codes as well England touch so uh anyway moving on um so let's go to uh in terms of spectator spectating the event Obviously, I assume obviously spectators are come are welcome to come and watch. Um, what's kind of set up for these people that I want to come and watch, etc. So we we made a bit of a decision recently about pitch layers that'll make perfect sense to everybody. I think when they get there, is that I think you you probably familiar with the the, the big big brass area where we played the international tag series. Um, yeah. And we would be playing there, but but over to sort of you're facing towards the pitches. If you can just picture it yourself over towards that app, there's um a really well-kept hurling pitch, so it's huge, um, mm. hurling, about 140 metres long, uh, with areas for people to sit and stand. Um, so it, it's, a, it's, a, it's four spectators, like the Limerick hurling team often plays uh, often plays there, and they're, they're a big deal at the moment. Um, so we're, we're moving some of our pitches to spectator-friendly places. So oh, obviously people, people are willing to show, or are perfectly welcome to show up to the venue. We'll, we'll try and put some control on that with, with, with free tickets. Um, mm. People, yeah, people are obviously perfectly welcome to show up to the venue. Ideally, they'd know which category their their granddaughter or whatever is playing in. So, so yeah. that makes for us. But yeah, um, yeah we, we have, we've tried to move one of our two of our best pitches, so to speak, to to a spectator friendly place. So one of the plans we have is for late night games. Um, so obviously we need to we need to adjust ourselves that team schedule so that they're not like playing at nine a.m. or nine p.m. But the idea is that maybe we might get four even four fixtures across the Thursday and Friday under lights at 9 p.m. when nobody else is playing so everyone can just maybe grab a, a beer or whatever they want and just that's your entertainment for the evening and um, yeah. watching who are the best teams in the tournament play and um, I guess the other, the other thing for spectators is that we've engaged a really good streaming partner oh like, that's my next <laughs> yeah a lot of work a lot of work went into this one um yeah. we were working with a guy called uh, a company sorry called full-time productions hmm. they did they've worked in UL recently on they work. They work on lots, lots of sports in Ireland, but specifically they were in UL for the uh, Ultimate Frisbee World Championships and, and lacrosse. Sorry. Um, so they know the setup of the venue perfectly. They know how to operate there, um, and we'll be streaming two pitches all day, every day, uh, with commentators on one and ref mics on the other. Um, okay. On YouTube, on separate streams. So. So it's um, only two p- pitches that will be 
Probably. Yeah, well, we, we we had we had looked we had looked at more, um, but the, it it just practically makes sense given again people will see it when they see the setup of the pitch we're streaming on, um, the ability to sort of stream pointing two different directions just just makes sense. Um, okay. So yeah, we're we'll two streams all day. Will will any other pitches be filmed even if it's not live streamed? Yeah, so we do we've we other devices and capacities to film, so we want we want to get as much of it as possible. Um, yeah. There's a, a growing movement and i've seen it i've seen some of it with uh i can't remember the name of the guy who plays the the, the dragons uh doing goldie like, yeah video analysis like that that yeah. sort of thing is, like that that to me is a big part of the development of tag i do a lot of it myself informally and what i mean informally is with that technology just just kind of stopping and counting and and stuff like that but it makes a huge difference to our understanding of the game and i think we need to be serious about recording the games the highest level so yeah there, there'll be plen plenty more games recorded but it's it's the two pitches that will be streamed out in, in okay and then in terms of the streaming is that streamed straight to like youtube or how how do you know yeah, yeah? or no, it, it, I, I was really specific that it would go to youtube because i think if if people, thousands of people across the world are trying to watch it then you want something that, that, that probably people can access yeah grades to a smart tv more than anything um we had a we had, I can't remember what term we had streamed to Facebook. Um, and to be, to be fair, I've watched TriSag Rugby streams that have been streamed to Facebook and they've been very good. Um, but tech, technologically, having to cast it from a MacBook to an Apple TV to watch it just isn't isn't the best. Uh, yeah. Isn't the best for a grandparent trying to watch the game or something like that. Yeah, so, true. Trying to make it as easy as possible. We took a lot of inspiration actually from, uh, I think the European Touch Championships were in Nottingham um, and Touch tends to do everything really well to a high yeah. standard. Yeah, so yeah. we took a lot of inspiration from how you had this like series of previews down the side of what game was coming up at what time and what stream, and and that that was that was just a really good experience for someone who even only has a casual interest in, in touch rugby. Yeah, um, really helpful for people to be able to um to follow their their friends and family that way. So yeah, streaming streaming will be a big aspect of it. Obviously, most of the participants uh, or a good half of the participants won't be able to bring family with them, so it is big. Excellent. Awesome. Okay. What else did I want to ask? Oh yeah. I thought this, I don't think I asked you pre before, but um, I thought if you had any stats about how many players, how many balls, how many tags, how many refs and how many countries ish might be. Yeah. I, I, can give, I can give those a good go. So yeah, give it a go. Looking at 20, let's call them nations um, because yes. there's, there's, exiles there's in indigenous australia there's uh yeah so there's there's, there's about 20 different um flags being ref that's probably the best way to put it Perfect. um so we we're looking at the moment at 30 referees um okay so, awesome yeah so it, it, it's depending on how many games you're going to give everybody then you just yeah we, we're trying to go for a quali quality over quantity of referees yeah in the approach of recent years you might have picked up on it at the, the british and irish cups was uh, or the international tag series referees did two or three games in a day and it made a big difference i think to the quality of their last game of the day um, yeah they understandably refs. yeah so we're gonna look after referees there so each each there are 10 pitches each pitch is gonna have three balls a day um so there's 30 balls a day about 200 balls um and then i did i did have tags calculated to like precisely and we're actually having a meeting tomorrow with the suppliers to to go through the detail so we were going to replace the tags on every pitch every day. So every pitch has 28 tags. They're going to 560 tags a day times four. There you go, 2,240 tags. Good maths. I don't, I don't know if that's right or not. You could have just said any number and be like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Participants, I actually I can, can get that for you pretty a lot easier. 
um, uh, we are looking at about 1,700, depending on certain things coming through or not, the lowest number of participants of players would be about 1,700. Um, but Cook as high as 2,000. Um, yeah. 30 match officials, every team probably has a, a manager and a physio. So, I mean, the, the figure we've been working on is that the event needs to cater for about 2,200 people. Um, Perfect. Organizing and staff. So it's always better to overestimate than underestimate. Yeah, when when you're yeah when you're when you're planning and uh, you want to make sure you've got enough polo shirts for all the staff and stuff like that, definitely. Um, there's there's, there's no question. But uh, so it's 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 one of the big. I mean, it's it's one of the biggest events to come this side of the world in a long time. Um, yeah. You know, you know, I mean, I was at a a tri tech rugby event in in April. Was it April? Was the one in April? The one in October? Last- so, yeah, nineties. It was at both of them, but one of them had ninety something teams. Yeah, um, which sounds like which sounds like it's bigger, but I don't think people realize how much bigger a squad is when they're playing internationally. So you know. Yeah, in in those tournaments, you normally only have like well, twelve. I think we're only allowed to have twelve in each squad, maybe yeah. fourteen max at those tournaments. So yeah, so then if we say. Minimum, probably eighteen to twenty in each squad, probably minimum. Yeah, and then yeah, when you add on staff and everything like that, we're, yeah, we're, not we're, including we're, staff. We're kind of the, what we're seeing with the accommodation bookings is probably around twenty three people per per team. So on average, yeah, yeah, and it's it's a big operation. And even just the practicality of running an event over over four or five days is is significant. Because I, I don't know off the top of my head when GB are planning to arrive, but even making arrangements for that number of teams to share training pitches is a challenge it's not impossible it's just something that requires a lot of time watching systems and, and things like that so um look it's 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 a dream to be able to host it and from the moment that we announced that it was going to be in ireland like it's really captured the attention of people it's, it's kept some people playing tag longer than they ever planned to um but yeah they, we're under no illusions about how difficult it's going to be yeah for sure um okay so then probably the last question i have is um, what other things about the World Cup do you, do we need to know that we've not talked about or we might not know? Or have we covered everything? <laughs> I mean, the one the one thing I really, I would like everyone to hear before we started is like, this is probably the only opportunity we're ever going to get for a World Cup this size and this side of the world, at least for, if not the only opportunity, and at least for probably six years. Yeah. And I, I just... I would hate for this to be something that people went into uh, and not and didn't enjoy. Um, mm. and it, it's a it's a forgotten emphasis sometimes um, because tag is a sport that was designed to be fun. It was designed yeah. to be. It, it was like in, in lots of senses, it wasn't designed to be a high performance sport. It was designed to be something that you did before you went for a beer. Um, and I just I just hope that in the uh, stress and the like difficulty and the intensity that we don't lose sight of that a little bit. Um, mm. So, I mean, I don't want to get too paddywhacker either, but like, generally speaking, it is a character associated with with Irish people that, that they're welcoming. And I, and I hope to the Irish people who meet Australians and great British people and, and, and Kiwis that, that that is part of our experience as well, and that we get to meet people and know people and connect with people that we wouldn't have met before. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, I guess, I guess that the message I would want to send is like, come prepared to enjoy yourself. Um, yeah. As much, yeah, and, and and I hope yeah, and I hope that's reflected in everyone's experience because whether you're traveling from London or from Granola, like there's a lot of effort goes into this. Um, a huge amount of, I mean, 
even if even if it's local it's expensive mm, um, of course if you're if you're preparing for this right you'll know about it than anybody like physically this whole it takes is sometimes it's just it's difficult it's expensive to travel around the country to train um you mm. give up like i i organized my wedding around <laughs> busy period of time like I you can imagine up. i think a lot of people have <laughs> it's like, um it's a big commitment huge commitment yeah. even though it is something that we all started out as something as a fun hobby as such it is still a big it's a huge commitment um but and someone unfortunately will have will go to the world cup and lose every game like there will be definitely teams that have that and mm. I, I guess i would love it if those if the, if it didn't matter in, at the end of the day that that and i love i love i love the, i love being able to treat something like a proper serious sport so i don't lose sight of that either but like i would hope that those people have as good an experience as they could possibly have had um, and come home delighted that they came. Um, yeah. Like, that we don't. That at that while we're all driven to win and to compete and to to win medals, that it's not the only measure of whether this has been a, a good a time. Good, a success. Yeah. No, I think that's great. I think on that. Go on. Sorry. <laughs> Thirteen groups of gold medals get awarded, but there's a lot more people. So. Yeah. Exactly. That sport, though, in the end, there's only. Um... There's only a few few medals available. Um, so just finally then, where can we find you? And I know you're you're kind of in charge of the T TWC 2023. So everyone follow that um on Instagram. Um is there any other um things where we can find you or be important to follow along on, on Instagram or on the web? Oh. I guess if, if you follow that tag account, I'm in practice as much as I can of just resharing as much stuff as I can see so that everybody who's interested in the tag world cup can see, you know, that you're doing a podcast or who's on the French men's fifties team or yeah. um, that Ireland we're training today in these facilities and that kind of stuff. Like, so that, that yeah, that's definitely the place we, 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 we run our own podcast and um, not as frequently as you do. Um, oh yeah. With Claire Cohen. She's a full-time YouTuber and she's also a member of my, uh, I think, I think I know her. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do. I've definitely played her in the last ten yeah. years at some point. <laughs> Probably played her in twenty twenty one. She's the ball of energy, uh, constantly talking. Um, so she's a great podcast in that sense. Okay, cool. Um, which which focuses, I guess, on I guess it probably won't be as, as illuminating to a GB audience as it would to an Australian one, but 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 it's, it's about tag on this side of the world. Um, yeah. So I think there's a lot of differences in how we organize and play the game. Mm, um, definitely. I mean, look, people will find the mouse when they get here if they don't listen to the podcast first. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time, Jack. That was brilliant. I think loads of people are going to find this really useful and helpful. And um, I, fingers crossed, we'll make the team and see you in August. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the GB Sports Performance Podcast with me, Grace Brown. If you have any questions for me or my guest, please drop me a message at Grace Brown Fitness on Instagram. Thank you.